Introducing the 2020 Miami Marlins MLB draft class. Max Meyer, right-handed pitcher out of Minnesota. Dax Fulton, left-hander from Mustang High School in Oklahoma. Kyle Nicholas, right-hander, Ball State. Zach McCambly, right-handed pitcher from Coastal Carolina. Jake Eater, left-handed pitcher from Vanderbilt 2019 NCAA champions. And finally, Kyle Hurt, right-handed pitcher from USC. Congrats to all six of them. Excited to follow their progress through the Marlins organization. Our reaction to their selection is coming up now on a new episode of Earning Their Stripes. I'm joined by three of my colleagues here, uh, a couple of them that know far more about the whole draft process than I do. It's Eli Sussman uh, here with me, Ian Smith, co-host of the new Briskets and Babbitt podcast. Welcome on, brother. How you doing today, man? Glad to be here. Of course. We got Spencer Morris, fresh off streaming about six hours of draft reaction on Twitch and himself really well studied up on these draft prospects. Hey, Spencer. How's it going, everybody? And finally, Ethan Badowski. Thank you, Ethan. Yeah, good good to be here. Good to hear from you guys. Excited to hear what uh, Spencer and Ian have to say about really going in, in depth into these guys. So, uh, yeah, happy to be back. It's been a while. And we're going to keep this podcast length pretty short in order to get it out to the people, in order to get on with the rest of our days. A super, super unorthodox approach to the draft from the Marlins going all pitchers. Uh, with all six of their picks and heading up to over $12 million in bonus spending ultimately when they get all these guys signed and it should go a long way to improving the organization, possibly the last time in a long time that they're going to have this kind of premium draft position, especially at the top when they were picking number three overall. We're going to bounce back between Spencer and Ian to give overviews on each of these picks, each of these pitchers and uh, why they came off the board when they did and what to expect from them. So the first one was a, a Somewhat of a surprising pick, um, but the more you dig into him, really fascinating player, right-hander Max Meyer out of Minnesota. Just give us an overview of him, Spencer, and uh, how you feel about the fact that the Marlins took a bit of a leap to get him at number three overall. Yeah, the feeling I got when the Meyer pick happened was kind of like the feeling I got when the Astros drafted Correa, where it was what I wanted them to do, but I, I didn't think it was going to happen at all. So it was a very pleasant surprise from my perspective. Um, Asa Lacey is an outstanding prospect. I think he can definitely be a top of the rotation starter, but Meyer was my favorite pitcher in the draft. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about Lacey, you talk about how good the fastball breaking ball combination is. And I think Myers is just even better. Um, I think for me, I like Myers mechanics a little bit more too. Um, the only real uh, disadvantages I see it for Meyer as compared to Lacey is that his frame isn't as ideal. But for me, I'm going to err on the side of stuff more than I am going to err on the side of size. So uh, Meyer was 
was the pitcher that I would have gone with too. Um, I think, you know, the fastball is in plus plus territory. A lot of people have an 80 on the slider. Um, people kind of split between 70 and 80, but no matter who you talk to, uh, most people would call it the best breaking ball in the draft class. Uh, I, I certainly would. Um, I think he's a starter all the way. He might pitch. Uh, some people seem to think that he might pitch out of the bullpen in the majors this year, um, just because he's about ready to pitch in that role. But I think long-term you're talking about a guy who can be a number two starter, maybe even better. Uh, and I think he compares pretty favorably to Walker Bueller. Ooh, Walker Bueller. I like that. And I, I guess if you look at his measurables, six foot even, listed at 185 pounds. Although, I, from what I have been told, he's actually closer to 200 at this point. So, in terms of when a guy's a little undersized and you wonder how much weight he'll be able to put on, I mean, he's already not all that far away from a typical starter when you consider the strength that he has put on uh, during the COVID delay. Uh, a big question, obviously, going to be that changeup. Some of the his um, guys that played ball with him in Minnesota. They sent me a supercut of all his best changeups. So, you know, they picked out the very best ones that had the most success. And even when you look at that, it's, it looks kind of inconsistent in terms of the depth that he gets on that pitch and his location. So that's going to be a big question. Um, but but Ian and Ethan, I mean, I think what we've seen with a lot of pitchers that have come up through the system in, in recent years is that this organization does a pretty good job at teaching that changeup. And, and some of the guys that have burst through to the rotation and already have had some major league success, like that's a pitch that there's some track record of the coaches and player development staff actually improving that pitch and, and making guys better than they were when they originally came into the organization. Yeah. I mean, I'll take this. Um, I believe, yeah, with talking about Meyer's stuff, the true stuff that he has is, is elite all the way around. And I mean, Eli, what you're saying with the Miami organization developing changeups is a great, it's a great point to make. Um, I think I think his changeup is already looks like it could be a plus offering as it is now. Um, I saw the video that somebody posted to you this morning, or was it last night, that showed some video of his changeup that looked fantastic. Granted, everything we've seen out of Max Meyer as a starter has came in a short sample size. Um, I believe that's going to be my biggest concern for him going forward. I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold the highest hopes on him. I think he's got the most potential to be a starter. Six foot, two hundred pounds. I, I'm, I'm not complaining with that. 185, throwing that heat is, is a struggle to keep up with. He's throwing 120 innings in college. I believe in Minnesota total, 75 of that, I think, as a starter. Um, I think seeing him pitch 170 innings in the majors is going to be the most important thing for me to see going forward. I don't think that's going to be in the next year or two. I think they're going to build him up slowly and, and really develop his arsenal more than it already is. The, the fastball and the slider are fantastic. We know that. But if he can make that change up, that change up into a consistent plus pitch, then he can be a really, a really valuable asset going forward for Miami. Yeah, um, you know, I saw one, oh, one, two videos of him um, recently. One was him striking out Spencer Torkelson. Um, was it Tor no sorry it was Adley Rutschman last year's number one overall pick uh and doing it with relative ease um the fastball looks like it has some really good life to it a little bit of zip and uh the slider obviously as as Spencer and Ian have talked about looks pretty tremendous um you know a lot of people are calling it the best uh 
break, you know, best slider in the class, maybe even the best breaking ball in the class. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's really exciting because um, you look at it and you say, okay, we're getting a pitcher with great stuff that has, you know, worked at a pretty good level in college and it's looked pretty good. And obviously with Spencer saying that, you know, some people believe he could pitch uh, in the big leagues that's bullpen arm this year is um, really, really, you know, I hadn't heard that before, but that, you know, kind of took me by surprise as a college guy ready to pitch in the big leagues right away. But that's, you know, that's obviously something that's really exciting for this organization. But from an overall, you know, standpoint, I mean, to me, this pick, you know, I didn't know too much about the guy coming in. I didn't know as much about, admittedly, about this draft class as last year's. But, um, you know, it wasn't the sexy pick. You know, you're sitting there and everybody's talking about, um, you know, Lacey getting to you and how that's, you know, everybody said that was going to be the pick. And then all of a sudden, Austin Martin sitting in your lap and you have a chance to take you know, maybe the best bat in the draft class um, and, and you pass that up, you know, obviously fans are going to react right away and say, oh my God, how could you, you know, how could you pass on Austin Martin and how could you pass on Ace Lacey? But um, clearly the Marlins had a strategy here and clearly they were trying to save money with their first pick um, for, you know, and still get it, still get a top end arm, but save money with their first pick for, um, you know, what should be a loaded uh, undrafted free agents class, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And also, I saw Ian mention this on Twitter for Dax Fulton, who we'll, I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but I think overall, the Marlins clearly had a plan coming into this draft. I mean, obviously, they had a plan. They went with six pitchers. And, um, you know, Mish talked about it. Craig Mish talked about it coming into the draft. He said, expect a pitcher heavy draft. But I don't think any of us could have expected quite, you know, anything like this. But the Marlins, um, as they did last year when they went heavy on college bats and especially power bats, saw a hole in their system and they saw a need that they wanted to address uh, and they went after it hard. And it's good to see the organization having a strategy, you know, with a with a five round draft. Obviously, you have to have an intense strategy. You're only going to get five players or well, six for the Marlins. but. Um, you know, it, it, it's good to see them have a strategy and to go after it hard and attack it. And 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 we've been seeing that from the Marlins in these past few drafts. And that's something that you want to see from uh, your organization, I think. That's a perfect transition to their next pick, number 40 overall, left-hander Dax Fulton. His full name is Daxton Fulton, but he was announced and publicized as Dax. So he's going to go as Dax as a professional player. Uh, tell us what we need to know, Ian, about uh, this 18-year-old left-hander from Oklahoma. Oh, man. Well, Dax Fulton might be my favorite pick of the night or my favorite pick of the draft for the Marlins this week. Um, this kid was is widely known as the best lefty in the prep class this year. He's coming off Tommy John surgery, which is always not what you want to hear as a prep guy. But the, this kid's got a 6'6", 200-pound frame with a lot of room for growth in it. He's probably got a 65 grade curveball right now. Um, it's it's one of the best curveballs I've seen in this prep class. He controls his body well. He repeats his mechanics a lot better than guys his size do. Like thinking back at when you saw an early Nate Pearson or Jackson Rutledge, even they didn't control their bodies like Daxon did at 18 years old. Um, they really have an upside that's pretty limitless right now. You really can't put a put a finger on what he can do with his talent. There's a lot of similarities to a former first rounder of the Marlins, <clears throat> Trevor Rogers, but I still think his upside is a lot higher than that. 
when I look at this kid, if he was healthy going into 2020, he could have been an easy top 15 pick in, in my in my eyes, at least. Um, I think he's got three plus pitches right now. The changeup doesn't get as much love as the curveball and the fastball, but I think that pitch can be really well for the way he has a feel for it at this age and the way he pitches and the way he pitches in big situations. Um, I think this kid has a lot, a lot going for him. And this was, this was a surprising pick for Miami. I don't think they expected to see him on the board at 40 and to get him there was, was a great get. <clears throat> I think going forward, the, the projection with this kid could be the highest in the Marlins system. Damn. And I think the expectation when they took Meyer and uh, already some information leaking out about him agreeing in terms of the team and settling for below slot value is that they would use some of those savings specifically on Fulton. Is that your expectation, Spencer, that he'll require a little bit more than the slot value to in order to officially bring in? Yeah, I think it'll definitely be north of two million. The slot value there is one eight five or so. Um, so I think it'll be fairly over slot. When Fulton made it to day two, I kind of assumed that he was going to be going to college. So um, that was another pleasant surprise to see the Marlins go with him there. Yeah. So like like um you know like Spencer and Ian said, we're probably going to have to go you know over slot here. But I think. The Marlins, um, you know, if they're taking a risk on a high school guy with their second overall pick in this or their second pick in this draft, it means they know they're going to sign him. Um, and, and I think that was the case for a lot of high school players going in this draft. But the Marlins only took one of them. You know, their other picks were all college arms. Um so clearly the plan was to save money for Fulton. And and to me, that suggests that they're really high on this guy. I mean, like Ian said, he's, you know, some say he's the best uh, left-handed high school arm uh, in the country. And so to me, there, there goes that strategy again of, you know, we locked in on this guy and they clearly had their guys because they didn't just fall in line and take Lacey at, at three. They went with their guy, Meyer, at, at three. So clearly that, you know, they had this plan of we're going to get our guys and we're going to work the money the right way to do it. And so this, you know, if, if this is the only high school guy that they're going after and if this is the guy that they're going to throw all the money, you know, the money that they save after, it's kind of like like Evan Fitterer last year where a guy that, like Spencer said, you might not expect to sign will be signed because they used their money properly and they're going to throw it all on him. And and that, to me, is a huge vote of confidence for how the Marlins organization feels about this guy. And I just wanted to real quick um, get Spencer and Ian's opinion on like who this guy compares, on who you would compare him to, because, again, I don't know too much about the prospect, but I just want to kind of hear what range you would put him in. Um, I think he, he compares... For somebody in the Marlins system, I think there's some similarity with Braxton Garrett. Mm -hmm. um, the fastball isn't uh, super big yet, but every indication is that it's going to be. And I think, you know, you can put the curveball in the same kind of class there. Uh, he definitely, you're projecting a lot with, with Fulton, but he has all the markers you want to see to make that projection. Uh, he's athletic. He has uh, a nice delivery. He has an outstanding frame for a pitcher. Um, the breaking ball is, is the hard 
pitch to find, right? I mean, the changeup can be developed, velocity can be developed, and those are the areas where he needs to improve. So I think the the future is bright. Yeah, I'm going to agree with a lot of things that Spencer just said right there. The, like the feel for the feel that he has for this curveball at his age is so unprecedented. I think from a lefty, it's hard to really put your finger on what he can do if he can find a velocity in his fastball that's sitting somewhere in the in the 93 to 95 range when he when he gets healthy or in the next few years. That's going to be a, a really special weapon out of a six six frame, 19 years old. So I think he's got a, a starting pitcher two upside, maybe maybe even better than that. Um, but I really think the, the sky's the limit for Fulton here if he, if he develops the right way. All right. We're, we're going to breeze through the names the rest of the way here just to make sure we get them all in uh, before we break into more general discussion. Uh, third rounder, number 61 overall. That was Kyle Nicholas out of Ball State. Uh, also pitched the – Last summer in the Cape, had some issues with his control over there, but a really intriguing guy and goes right around where he was projected to go in the first place. What do we need to know about Nicholas Spencer? Yeah, Nicholas comes out of Ball State. They had a, a comp round pick pitcher last year, Dre Jameson. Um, he is a pretty athletic guy. He was a multi-sport high school guy. Uh, the fastball is pretty big already. Uh, physically, he's pretty maxed out. Uh, he's worked as a starter and a reliever, and it's kind of a question mark which way he'll go in the pros, but I would imagine that early on he'll be a starter. Um, he does have a starter's frame, and the delivery isn't the cleanest that you'll ever see, but I think it's clean enough that um, he can be a legitimate guy to give a shot as a starter. Um, he has really good feel to spin, but right now he doesn't have a super consistent go-to breaking pitch. Uh, he'll throw a curve and a slider, and I think the end result will be that one of those ends up getting shelved and one develops a little more and becomes the uh, top secondary that he leans on. Um, I think it's more likely than not he ends up as a fastball, breaking ball relief pitcher, uh, but he does have late inning upside in that role. And if the strike throwing and kind of consistency of the stuff does improve, uh, if you want a dream, could be as good as a number three. All right, right after him, number 75 overall. That was Zach McCambly out of Coastal Carolina, right-handed pitcher, he grew up a big fan of Derek Jeter. He says he idolized him. But uh, besides that, what should we know about McCambly, Ian? Uh, McCambly has a lot of similarities to our previous pick in Kyle Nicholas. Not the same size and frame, being only 6'1", 205. Um, but McCambly offers a, a quality two-pitch two pitch mix with his fastball curveball. His fastball sits in the mid-90s. He sometimes can hit 98. And it, the, the curveball is, is, is extremely special. I think it's probably got a 65 grade on it at the very least. Um, some scouts have given it a 70, I've, I've read. Um, but beyond that, it's a two-pitch mix only. Um, he hasn't really developed the third pitch. Uh, he was a Friday night starter at Coastal Carolina, but I do see him being a more relief role going forward. I think he'll get a chance to start going at, at the beginning with Miami, maybe in Jupiter, as high as Jupiter, but... Other than that, I think going forward with his delivery and his stride to the plate and his two-pitch mix, I think he's set for a relief role going forward, but it could be an elite relief role. Excuse me, I can't talk this morning. 
it could be an elite relief role. Um, he was a favorite of Aaron Layden, another one of our colleagues in the, in the Cape last year, and it really made some strides. Uh, his control was an issue for two years, but he really, really looked like he, uh, he made, a, made a change in that bouncing command over the last year and a half. So I'm excited to see what he can do in Miami, but there's definitely some relief risk there. Yeah, a quick plug for Arm Latham and his Locked On Marlins podcast. He was at the Cape last summer where he saw both Nicholas and um, and McCambly. So he'll have some good perspective on them both on and off the field. Uh, the final two picks, uh, left-hander Jake Eater from Vanderbilt was there to win a national championship with the team in 2019. Of course, there's that connection. Uh, director of amateur scouting for the Marlins, DJ Svillick, has a background with Vanderbilt. So it's a little some so that's why there was some suspicion, some suspecting that he would go with Austin Martin with that top pick because of the connection. But he didn't he came back and got the Vandy guy much later on? And then on the draft broadcast, they had uh, Vanderbilt head uh, coach Corbin on the broadcast, and he was trying to make this comparison between Eater and Asa Lacey. But more realistically, Spencer, um, what's the rundown on what to expect from Eater? Yeah, I mean, if you're not wearing your glasses, he, he looks a little bit like Asa Lacey. Uh, <laughs> it, he, you know, I mean, like the rough uh, traits are, are similar. I'll give him that. Um, Ader is a guy who, if, you know, you follow the draft, you've probably heard the name a couple of times. He was a pretty high-profile prep guy. He pitched at Vanderbilt, which obviously if you're following the draft, you're going to watch a fair amount of Vanderbilt baseball. Um, he's, he mainly worked out of the bullpen for Vandy. But he has you know, your traditional starter traits in terms of physicality. The uh, delivery isn't super loud either. So he's another guy who you could give a look as a starter. But kind of s- sort of similar to Nicholas, I think the future here is he'll be a fastball curveball reliever. Those are the pitches from him that I really see big potential in. The curveball, I think, um, when it's at its best – can flash plus though like with Nicholas it's still inconsistent Ader does have more of a third pitch than Nicholas does um, his changeup is pretty solid but uh, I think that the command at the end of the day will probably be uh, reliever command and I think that the fastball curveball will play nicely in that role I think he's a guy who has kind of set up man upside and that's where I see him and finishing out the day, as we already mentioned, six for six with selecting pitchers, five for six from the college ranks, and the final one, number 134 overall. That was Kyle Hurt, big right-hander from USC. Uh, what do you think about that one, Ian? Uh, Kyle Hurt's kind of an intriguing arm here. Um, I believe they're going to save a little bit of money being 22 years old, but he offers an intriguing profile. He's got a, he's got a starter's body and frame, but he put up – really inconsistent results over his three years at USC. Um, he's got four pitches. His changeup could be the best in this Marlins draft class that they drafted in 2020. Um, it's a plus pitch all day long. Uh, his whole arsenal is flashed above average at times, but he just hasn't seen to put it together consistently. Um, his fastball can sit in the mid nineties. I'm just, I'm not sure what they want to do with her here. I know this was a pick that they wanted to go with. They wanted another pitcher here. And I think he's got potential to be a back end starter possibly, but this is an arm that's going to develop slowly and it's going to be a project, but I think he has the potential to be something in this system eventually. Yeah. Honestly, that's all you could really ask for when you get to the fifth round is you can't really bank on any of those guys definitely being impact major leaguers. 
and you know, just keeping all this stuff realistically, you look at some of the best draft classes that teams have had. Uh, that usually means you get four, maybe five guys that have some sort of longevity in the big leagues. So, I mean, if yeah. even most of these guys end up doing that, then that's that's going to be exactly what the Marlins could realistically dream of happening. Yeah, that's that's the thing, Eli. You know, I was thinking about is you know you only have five starter spots in the big leagues, and we took six pitchers. So, you know, and, and we already have a bunch of pitching talent in the system. So, you know, this is, you're not going to get your starting five from this draft, but it's in, you're not usually going to get a starter anywhere past round two or three, unless, you know, something, you know, really spectacular happens with the development or something was missed along the way. But my point is, um, you know, most of the time when you, when you're taking pitchers, you know, three, four, five, whatever, um, you're you're drafting uh, uh, organizational depth, and you're drafting guys that are going to end up being um, relievers. And so, um, you know, the the Marlins, you're going to need relief help, you know, at some point. So the Marlins are just giving themselves plenty of options um, for uh, pitching, and you can never have enough pitching. So, you know, if if one or two of these guys turns into a starter at the end of the day, you know, when all things are said and done, like, let's say, you know, obviously they hope Meyer is a starter and, and I think we all expect him to be. And then maybe Fulton turns into one. Now you have four guys that have really good stuff. And like Spencer said, a lot of these guys are going to be, you know, fastball, breaking ball relievers. If you have really good breaking balls, then that's a really effective and good fastballs. That's a really effective reliever right there. So um, I think the Marlins, you know, wanted to, like I said earlier, wanted to kind of address that pitching. And now they have a overload of depth from this class that they can add to the system um, to really just kind of beef it up and, and, and back, you know, provide some fallback for, you know, some of these guys, you know, the Trevor Rogers is the practicing Garrett's the, um, you know, you know, the Eddie's and, and all these guys down lower uh, just kind of provide some backup in case something goes wrong along the way where you have, you know, guys that can easily jump in. And, and that's where we talk about, you know, we talk about it all the time, the layers of talent in the system that just keep growing where you just move further down the line and it's still guys that you think have big league potential. So it's just another draft, just adding to the, uh, you know, adding to the system and, and making it, you, you know, all the more better than it's already been. Yeah, the, the early indications are that this draft class has been pretty well received across the industry. Just some national reporters, John, John Heyman and Peter Gammons, both citing anonymous sources, you know, executives and scouts, not, not putting a name to it, but saying that the Marlins, in terms of talent, their class is top five across the sport in this year's class, which is a similar tune that we heard last year when, of course, it was much different conditions that year. So this, unorthodox strategy adjusting to conditions the early signs are it went well and of course the big critical factor will be making sure that you sign all these guys and then cleaning up in the undrafted situation uh, we're going to get to that in just a moment i should note that how many responses i've seen on twitter from marlins fans that are simply scarred from what the team has done uh, the last handful of years before the, the like ownership transition because of course the last time that the marlins picked this high in the draft it was Tyler Kolek. That was in 2014, number two overall. He's still in the organization, just in name only. He's not really, uh, not really any expectation of him moving forward after a bunch of injuries and, frankly, just being considered a, a bizarre pick at the time to begin with. 
And uh, even since then, when they've made some good picks, uh, Andrew Heaney, of course, has like, developed into a very credible starter, but he got traded away right after he debuted. So Marlins fans haven't really got to see that and trust in that firsthand. Of course, uh, same thing, Chris Valamont, all the way in the fifth round a couple of years ago, had that big breakout season in the minors in 2019. We talked a lot, Ethan, about him on the pod last year, and then he got traded. Uh, a very legitimate trade to get Leyland Diaz, but when you don't actually see these guys come up all the way through the system, being drafted and developed, then uh, you, you have a hard time trusting pitchers in general to be used for these picks. And so that, this is going to be a challenge for a lot of people to accept just who follow the Marlins closely because they've had a lot of pain or simply just haven't seen it for themselves in a while. And that's that's going to be it's going to be interesting to follow that progression from here. Uh, but before we get out of here. I did want to touch on the undrafted part, considering this one was shortened from the usual 40 rounds to only five rounds. Um, There's a big crop of undrafted players, uh, ones that are more notable than we've seen in years past. And um, I'm sure, Spencer, you you signed up on a lot of guys who did not go into the draft so that did not get selected so far. So they're still uh, technically available. Whether or not they actually want to sign for $20,000 or less is a big question. But, but who are some of the names that come to mind to you that you think have very legitimate major league potential um, and would be worth really paying attention to as this period plays out beginning on Sunday when you can sign these guys? Well, I mean, I think my the way I view it is that the vast majority of these guys are not going to sign. Um, I think that, you know, the, the super notable names that are out there uh, – top of the rankings who went undrafted will be either, you know, returning to college or going to college, depending on where they are in their uh, career right now. But in terms of some of the top names, guys that I watched who didn't end up getting picked, um, a couple prep guys who I had actually first round grades on that weren't selected were Tanner Witt and Drew Bowser. Uh, Those guys will definitely both be going to college, but there were some college guys that I, did like um, that didn't end up going. Seth Wansway from Ohio State, I thought had one of the better uh, college breaking balls after um, Reed Detmers and McCambly, who the Marlins took. Um, Parker Chavers, the center fielder, uh, I thought he had a nice set of uh, skills, teammate of McCambly at uh, Coastal Carolina. I think he projects as a potential center fielder uh, at the next level, and he uh, didn't get picked. I had a top 100 grade on him. So probably Chavers and Lonsway are the first two guys I'd call, um, but I expect that we'll be seeing them both playing in NCAA as seniors. Yeah, realistically, I I suppose this will go to a lot of college seniors. Those are the guys that that obviously either – if they don't do affiliate involved in – they do independent ball and 20, 20 grand is, is better than some college seniors have gotten even in previous years where those guys, they just don't have much leverage in the situation. Um, and, but the, the awkward position the Marlins are in and Ethan, you know, this really well from following them last year is how much depth they have in the organization. And of course we have minor league contraction almost assuredly coming beginning next year. So you're not going to have as much room to play these guys. And even if there are intriguing names out there that you might be able to, get to believe in the Marlins culture and be excited to sign and join the team. Um, it's not the new toy. Isn't always the one that um, 
the better option in this case. Like if, if you want to actually make room for all these guys and, and continue adding in the undrafted market, ultimately they'll have to release others that were in their minor league system uh, these past few years and having some success. So that's, that's going to be the really tricky decision that they make is um, the cost in terms of bringing these guys at $20,000 a piece, maybe even a little bit less. Um, that's almost like, besides the point, it's about whether or not you already feel that the system is, loaded already and whether or not these guys would actually represent any upgrades over what they already have in most positions. Yeah. Well, when, when I first saw the draft and, you know, people were talking about the undrafted free agents pool, I thought, Oh my God, that's going to be, you know, it's going to be a mess. You're going to have all these guys and, and, and teams are just going to be going after them like crazy. But then I really thought about it and I realized that it's a 20 million, uh, $20,000 maximum that you can put on these guys. And, and you realize, okay, you know, there's not going to be as much uh, of a mad dash as you think. Like you said, Eli, it's going to be mostly uh, college seniors. You know, you can't expect any of these big high school guys that were going to go top five, ten rounds um, to, you know, to to go to the big leagues for twenty thousand dollars when they realize they can go to college and develop themselves like so many um, high school guys do and come back in a few years or. You know, come back in a few years and get drafted and make more money than this or go to juco i think a lot of people think that um juco is going to be huge this year uh and and i could expect that and then you know college juniors um just for example you know at uf we have um tommy mace and uh jack leftwich jack leftwich that's his name right oh my god i blanked on it for a second but you have mason leftwich who are two headline starters both guys that in a normal draft uh, probably would have been drafted and probably, you know, would be um, if they were drafted in the top, let's say five to 10 rounds, there's a good shot that they're going to the, going to the majors. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden they don't get drafted because it's only five rounds and teams are addressing, you know, their maximum needs and um, they're coming back to school. So I think, yeah, you're going to be, dra- you're going to be looking at a lot of college seniors here, like the Marlins did last year when they went, cheap in the draft to sign some of the higher, uh, you know, guys that they really wanted to go after with money. Um, but you know, you still, there's still needs that need to be addressed in the system. One thing I would love to see the Marlins do, and I think is something they have to do is sign a catcher. Um, because behind Jorge, Jorge Alfaro, who I'm still a big believer in, but the strikeout rate was really concerning this year, as I think we've kind of, you know, beat into oblivion. Um, but, they don't really have a lot of catcher depth at all. I don't think there's catcher depth really to talk about. You know, there's Fortes and and um, Banfield, but who knows what's up with Banfield. So I think, you know, and Spencer, maybe you can talk about a guy that would be available. Um, I think catcher is something that the Marlins really should address. Yeah, I mean, I don't – I there were a couple of prep catchers, uh, Kevin Parada, Daniel Susek, that went undrafted um, that you know project very favorably at the next level. But I just don't. You're not. I don't think you're really going to find any sort of prospects of note in undrafted free agent in the undrafted free agent market this year. Um, I don't really think the signings that'll come out of it are going to look too different from a normal undrafted mm-hmm. period, even though. We had so many fewer players drafted. Um, I think with the catcher position, it's certainly not the strongest in the organization. 
but uh, mm-hmm. you don't you don't have to develop catchers necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know they they have so much talent at other spots. They're they're in good shape. If if catcher becomes a glaring need at some point, I think they'll have more than enough ammo uh, to fill that hole in the trade market if need be. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, you know, catcher can be kind of a luxury pick if, you know, you're sitting in the top 10 next year and there's no glaring needs and there's a good catcher, you know, like a like a like kind of what the Giants did with, with Joey Bart. Uh, I think that's something that, you know, the Marlins could look at doing in the future. Um, but, it, you know, there's no reason at this point to me to not just take a shot on some guy, take a flyer and, you know, maybe something comes of it, you know, but um yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, the Marlins are going to be expecting any of the guys that they sign, especially with the organizational depth, to be headline prospects in this system. I think it's just going to be, you know, taking flyers, figuring out what they can do and see if they can work any of these guys into the system to the point where, you know, they at least pull something out of this, um, you know, in, in what would be usually a 40 to 45 person class, you're pulling, you know, six guys and then adding a little more to it so it'll definitely be interesting i'm not sure you know maybe the marlins go pitcher heavy here and sign a bunch of senior pitchers um but i i it i I don't think it's going to be what i expected and what a lot of us expected i think it'll be more like what spencer said which is just a typical undrafted free agents class just kind of guys that you just give a flyer to so and worth worth noting that right before we start recording joe forsaro mlb.com marlins beat writer he, he did float the idea of the Marlins signing a catcher, at least one catcher in the situation. And he doesn't really do that stuff very randomly. So I would say the odds of that happening are, are better than 50% that they end up signing one of those guys to catch. Um, but aside from that, we're just going to once again, congratulate all the Marlins draft picks, Meyer, Fulton, Nicholas, McCambly, Eater, Hurt. Excited to follow those guys coming up in the Marlins organization. We're going to be covering them extensively here on earning their stripes throughout this year and beyond it's going to be kind of awkward this year assuming that there's no minor league season but nonetheless marlins are going to set up different ways for these guys to get together and know each other another shout out to ian he's starting up a new podcast briskets and babip about food and baseball uh, co-hosting with Louis davila so that's going to be coming up pretty soon and i urge all you guys to subscribe to that and on the article, we're going to put this in article form on fishstripes.com too. And so check out Fishstripes, some really fun stuff on there. And some links to a lot of intriguing undrafted players in addition to the ones that Spencer already mentioned so that you guys are fully prepared for what the Marlins are going to go after here. So along with Ethan Badowski, Spencer Morris, Ian Smith, Eli Sussman, we're going to turn this around and get it out to the public real quick so that you guys are know what to expect from this 2020 Marlins draft class. Go Fish! <laughs> 